Why don't we stand and read scripture together? <clears throat> We've been focused on Exodus 34. We'll read from verse 4, uh, sorry, from verse 6 to 8. Let's read together. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. You may have your seat. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So we've been doing a series focusing on the name of God. Then you will realize if Maybe because of this conversation, as you read your Bible when you do, you've probably noticed how big a deal the name of God is. All through the Psalms, blessed be your name, O Lord. Right? It's, it's a big deal. The name of God is a big deal in Scripture. And here, uh, we have uh, you know, been saying that names were more than labels. Nowadays, names function like labels. Or oh, this is a human being going by this name. In, in, uh, in that culture, names uh, 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 said so much about the identity, what is truly true about this person. And I know that uh, uh, for Africans, that is not so far uh, away from us. Names meant something. And in, this, in the culture of scripture, names uh, pointed to the identity. And so here, uh, uh, here God does a self makes a self-disclosure statement. He says, my name is Yahweh, and this is my character. That's why Exodus 34 is a big deal. That's why Exodus 34 is the most quoted scripture by scripture itself, because every time writers of scripture wanted to talk about God's character, they would go back to Exodus 34. That's why uh, one of the songs we've sung a lot this, this season the Lord is gracious and compassionate. It's found in the Psalms, yet it is a direct quotation of Exodus 34. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. God was making a self-disclosure statement. My biggest invitation has been that our God is knowable. And he wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. Our God is noble. It's not a force. It's not nature. He's not distant. He's not unconcerned. Our God is noble, and he wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. And this is how he wants to be known. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. And today, we move to the other part of that statement that probably has been bothering so many of you. Today, we'll focus on the next lines. Maintaining love to... Well, okay, maintaining love for thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents, the third and the fourth generation. How many are a little bothered by that statement, if you're honest? Great, okay. Like, why? Why should I pay for what my grandmother did, right? We'll come to that. So, uh, we've worked through the character of God step by step. We talked about... Uh, gracious and compassionate. And what I said is that God's baseline emotion towards you is mercy. Every time God sees you, he feels uh, 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 something deeper than what a mother feels for the child. The baseline emotion of God towards you is mercy. 
And the baseline action of God towards you is grace. He always does things in your favor. And then last week we focused on on, uh, God being slow to anger. Anger is not an attribute of God. Contrary to popular belief, as people read scripture and they see the wars and the bloodshed, they go, oh my word, what an angry God. And I've been saying that that's a problem with how we read those ancient texts. And so we've been working through a bit of that. Anger is not a character of God, not at all. Neither are we saying that God doesn't get angry. What we are saying is that God is slow to anger. He makes anger distant and compassion close. And what, 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 what God's anger looks like as described in scripture is that he releases people and nations and cities to the, the consequences of the choices they've made. When God says, okay, you've rejected me, then I, I, I won't force you. You get the, 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 the thing that is coming your way anyway. That is God's wrath. That when God removes his hand of protection. And then we talked about uh, his, his love. Uh, slow to anger, but rich in love. And that love thing we talked about, it's, it's more than warm, nice feelings. It's, it's a word we call chesed. It's about promise-keeping love. So every time you sing, uh, waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, this is where it comes from. God says, I keep my promises no matter what. That's the cornerstone of what God is towards us. And now today we'll talk about him, his character as a forgiving God, forgiving us. So Lord, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the rains. Father, it's... Yes, just recognize that lives have been taken and property has been destroyed across this nation by the rains. May your compassion be close to those who are hurting. May your comfort be close to those who have lost family. And I pray that um, you awaken the leaders of this nation, the people who are in a position to make a difference, that, that, they, that they won't act in ways that, that, that are corrupt and reluctant. Quicken their hearts, O oh Lord. Even in our city of Nakuru. We choose to bless you when it's, when it's, sunny, when it's sunny and when it's raining. We choose to bless you. So come, Lord, and, and, and may your spirit speak to us both as a community and as, uh, and as individuals in Jesus' name. Okay, so as usual, we've been doing a bit of a word study. I've been, I've been picking out the words used in that, in, in that scripture and kind of uh, uh, help, uh, helping us wrestle with what, are, what is this verse inviting us to uh, picture about God. So... The words used here, again, covenant love that we studied last weekend, chesed, uh, forgiving, rebellion, wickedness, sin, punishment, um, and and which can also be translated visiting the sin of or or allowing people to bear their iniquity. So what, what words are used here and what images do they invite us to? 
The first one I want to talk about is a word called, uh, the, the word for transgression and rebellion. Uh, the word used is pesha. Pesha refers, oh yes, uh, we, they, there are pieces of paper being given. Some of the things I'm saying are, are rising questions in people. I would love to find the opportunity to answer some of them. And so if anything I say makes you have a question, write it down and we'll get to it. So, Pesha can be translated as transgression or rebellion. Uh, what, it, what it means, because no, nobody in everyday language uses the word transgression. Oh, you've transgressed against me. No one does that. So, what, what, what picture is the Bible pointing to? The breaking of a covenant. When you have a covenant with someone and you break it, you've pashad with them. You've broken covenant. It's betrayal. It's when you betray a relationship. It's when you break trust with. If you enter an agreement, a covenant agreement with someone and they break your trust, they've pashad against you. The other word used is avon. Avon uh, 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 is related to the word ava, which I'll talk about. And it can be translated as iniquity or wickedness or sin. What Avon is talking about is, is something being crooked. Like something is supposed to be straight, but it is crooked. It is, it, it, it's bent. That's what this is talking about. So sometimes our behavior is bent. It isn't as it is supposed to be. Sometimes our actions are crooked. They aren't as straight as they're supposed to be. Another word that is very familiar with us is corrupt. When we say something or someone is corrupt, they're supposed to be one way, but they are the other way. They are bent. That's what iniquity means. When you see iniquity in the Bible, because we rarely use that word anymore, that's what they're talking about. And this week, you can go around and saying, I have seen your iniquity, you know. Um, so it can also be used if you have a bent back. It's so, oh, I, my, my back is a var. It's, it's, it's about being bent. But it's not just about action, but the consequences of the bent actions. So if you, if you, um, if you pasha with someone, if you break trust with someone by acting in a crooked way, then the consequences could be a, a, a broken relationship. The consequences could be revenge. The all the broken consequences arising from a broken relate, uh, 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 a, a crooked action are also referred to as iniquity or wickedness and, and sometimes sin. And then the word used there for sin is hata. Now, sin, we, you know, we make it a very spiritual language, and it is, yet primarily what it means is when you miss the mark. Imagine someone shooting an arrow, there is a bullseye, and they miss it. That's a sin. So when you go out uh, for archery, and you've sinned a couple of times, come and say, Nimekosa, Nimekosa, Mimi. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, so sin is just when you miss the intended goal. You miss the mark. It has, and, and it, in the Bible, it has a lot to do with moral failure. And, and all the ways we convince ourselves that wrong action is okay. 
and it's happening a lot in our culture. It's happening a lot in this generation. We are a generation that has decided, we're not the first ones, but we're a generation that has decided to call what is right, what is wrong, right. So sin is when we miss the mark and then convince ourselves that what we're doing is right even when we are aware that it is not. And sometimes we are not aware that what we're doing is wrong. That is still sin. Moral failure. It has, it's around moral failure. So these three words used are referring to all the ways we fail to be properly human. We were created to be human, which means we were created to be images of God. All the ways we live and act and respond that, that do not reflect the image of God are, 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 are the, what is being referred to by these three words. When we respond to each other and when we respond to God in ways that dishonor each other and, 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 and God are called sin. And the thing is, I got a little weighing scale here today. Well, and the thing is for the Bible, oh, I might have to take. So for the Bible, sin is a, is a real thing. It's not just um, something that doesn't have uh, real consequences. When we sin, we put something real into the world. Is that visible from the back? Stacy? Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> so sin is something, we put out something real into the world. And it doesn't just have consequences, it has repercussions. It has real weight. How do they do this? Okay, I'll put it there. It has real weight. It has real impact. Real. I didn't even know that we still use this in the shops. Anyway, it has real impact, real repercussions, and real ripples. It's how. So there's a theory in mathematics called the, the the chaos theory, and one of the images they use is that when a butterfly flaps it, its wings, depending on how that flap, just a little butterfly interacts with the systems of nature, it could cause uh, a hurricane so many miles away. That's just an imagery, but, but what, the, what the mathematical theory is trying to say, every small action can grow into something big. So that's a chaos theory. Or another thing that might be very familiar to us is uh, when, when some of us uh, are in a matatu or in your private cars and you just drank uh, water from a plastic bottle and you throw it outside of your window, it looks like it is just one plastic bottle. But because of the rains that are falling, it could be carried away. And then guess what is happening in our oceans? Trash is piling up that it is making a whole island of trash. Started with just one plastic bottle. See, every action, we think it's small, but it has the capacity to cause uh, big consequences. That's the same thing with sin. It's a real thing we put out there. Um, a better example around sin 
You see, an action that just starts with one uh, flirtatious text that leads to an affair a couple months down the line. And then uh, that affair leads to a divorce a couple years or months down the line. And then uh, it ends a 10-year marriage. And that pain causes... Uh, 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 that pain causes a ripple effect and, and, and a spiraling downward of the two, of the two people, or, or more than two people. And one ends up in drugs, and, and the other one ends up in, in, in multiple uh, 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 bad sexual relationships. And then the kids that were impacted by that family grow up without the ability to actually be in pro, uh, 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 sensible relationships. You see how it's, it doesn't just have consequence, it has a ripple effect. Then another word that has been used there is to punish. And what we're thinking about is, is, is to cause pain. What the Bible is referring to is to allow one to bear their iniquity. It is to visit the sin of someone on them. To allow them to bear their iniquity. You'll see that phrase a lot in scripture. Bear their iniquity. When, when scripture thinks of punishing, it's okay. I will allow you to carry the consequences of what you've chosen. So, the full picture here is that Yahweh, our God, is a God who maintains love. Forgives sin, wickedness, and rebellion. Forgives sin, wickedness, and transgressions. But that does not mean that people don't carry the consequences of their action. That's the picture being drawn. And, and him, not, him punishing the wicked is about justice. He punishes the guilty to the, uh, to the third and the fourth. This is about justice. And here is the truth. Love requires that you give people the dignity to make choices. If you love someone, you give them the dignity to make a choice. If you give people the dignity to make a choice, you must also give them the dignity to carry the consequences of their choices. So this is what love looks like. Now, the other thing that, that this, uh, the, the portion we're looking at today uh, wants, us to, uh, wants to draw our attention to is that, is that God's mercy and God's justice work together. God's mercy and God's justice don't cancel each other out. Instead, they work together. Why? Because he maintains covenant-keeping love. Okay. So I want to draw our attention to the poetry again of this, of this verse. So it says, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents, the third and the fourth generation. So... I have put it this way because uh, uh, the, the poetry here has something called chiasm, where you match two things, the beginning and the end of something, and then that gives you freedom to do a, a little bit with the middle. So the first line matches the second line. So the reason I have put the word generation in capital is that it actually does not appear in the original. So what it actually reads, well, back to the other slide. Maintaining love for thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents to the third and the fourth. In English, it doesn't make sense if you just leave it to the third and the fourth. 
Yet the implication was generation. So a, 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 a translation decision was made to add generation at the end. What, this, what, what I need us to be aware of is that whatever is at the end of the bottom is what should finish the, 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 the top. So you either live it without generation or as some of your translations now do, you are generation at the end. Maintaining love for, thou for thousands of generations and forgiving wickedness and sin, rebellion. Uh, okay, yeah. Yet he does not leave the guilty and punished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents, the third and the fourth generation. The first and the last work together. These two are paired together. The point this verse is making is that God's mercy and God's justice do not cancel each other out. Instead, they work together. But I want us to see something. Still looking at what we have there. Maintaining love to thousands of generations. How many years covers thousands of generations? Forty thousand? 50,000? And the point isn't even the number of years that God will maintain love. The point the, po the poem is trying to make is he will maintain love forever. How long does he punish the guilty? To the third and the fourth. Do you see how we're invited to read scripture? The problem isn't the third and the fourth. The invitation is how long he will keep his love. Okay, so I have 100 grams. Sin is real. It has weight. It has implication. To the third and the fourth. God's love, this is now a, a thousand. I, oh, so th this is a thousand. Okay, God's love, no comparison. Well, to the third and the fourth, I have a 200 gram weight. No comparison. There's nothing we could do that would keep God's love from us. Now you see what is, in, uh, what is influencing Paul when he writes, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. His love goes on forever and it is unfailing. His anger, he keeps anger distant and brings compassion close. See, God still deals with sin because there's real weight on these scales. God still deals with sin. We all have a sense of justice. I think I was a bit skewed. Mostly, I want justice against you when you hurt me. I want mercy for myself. That's skewed, right? So we all have a sense of justice. When something wrong happens, God, do something, right? So we know that we all agree that sin should be dealt with. So God, it's not that God ignores sin. It's that his love always works, his mercy always works in a way that all we receive is love. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Have you read that scripture before? This is what it's referring to. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
Or another scripture says, uh, 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 mercy and judgment kiss. This is what scripture is referring to. The scales are always skewed towards mercy. It's very skewed. It's incomparable. When the things are done, and there are many, compared to even what I deserve for the things I've done, are put on a scale against God's mercy towards me, it's always mercy. It's always mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How many times? How many times? All the time. God is merciful, and all the time, that's the invitation we're being invited to. God's mercy does not contradict or cancel out his justice, but mercy will triumph over judgment all the time. All the time. His love and his, uh, his mercy and his justice work in such a way that all, you, all you're experiencing all the time is his love. That's why he's promising to maintain his love. It's, he's going to do it. I'm going to maintain my love. Forever. He's promising to keep his covenant longer than his anger burns. That's the promise God is making here. So many of us get hung up on the line punishing children for, their, for the sins of their fathers to the third and the fourth. And there's a problem with how we read that. But at least we've got to be honest with ourselves and go, yeah, that makes me ask a question. Why should I pay for what my grandmother did? Why should I pay for what my grandfather did? And a couple of months ago, we did an eight-week series just on this verse. And, and we were saying, hey, you know, uh, the things that happen in our family have an impact on us. We face the consequences of the choices made by our parents. Your children will face the consequences of the choices you make. And then the, the, the environment we grow up in predisposes us to certain things. There are people who are alcoholics just like their father before them, who's an alcoholic like their grandfather before them. They've now made a choice, but they already were in a position where that was an easy sin to go to because of the third and the fourth. That's what this scripture is talking about. And the word punishing, as I keep saying, as other translations would even say, visiting as sin, is really about God allowing people to, to, to face the consequences, uh, to carry the consequences of the choices they, they've made. So, and that's some of what we talked about last week. You see, our actions, even small ones, have consequences and ripple effects. They have consequences for us and ripple effects for the world around us. They cause hurt. They cause broken relationships. They cause buildup of anxiety. They cause depression. And sometimes even all-out wars and revenge. It's exactly what's happening uh, in, in, in over 21 places in the world. One action has led to consequences and ripple effects. Some of those wars and, and conflicts have been going on for years. Do you see how it's still the third and the fourth? Yet these are the consequences of choices made by human beings. Now, the other thing that scripture is saying that you will be held 
responsible for your choices. Regardless of the situations both in your family and your culture that predispose you to make those decisions. You know, it's not that, you know, it's not like God would go, hey, Edgar, I see you struggle with perfectionism, but don't worry, I know you get it from your dad, so it's okay. No, I will bear the consequences of that brokenness. So this continues until someone decides to give it over to Jesus. So you, it's not that people are punished for the sins of their fathers and their, and their grandparents because we have multiple uh, scripture showing that that is not the case. It is that people will bear the consequences of choices made to them, by them, and around them. This nation is bearing consequences of choices made by a government that is not even in place anymore. And will bear the consequences of choices made by the government in place now. So, the reminder is that God's mercy always triumphs over judgment. That's how they work together. So the question becomes, how does God keep the scale that way? How does God keep his mercy always triumphing over judgment? How does God make sure that all I receive is love, regardless of the choices I make and, you know, as, uh, when I give it to him? Forgiveness. It's that word that I haven't talked about. Forgiveness. He promises to forgive. That is how he keeps the balance. The word forgiveness in Hebrew is nasah. What it, what it really means is to lift up. So God is promising to lift up the weight of our sin. To take from us. You're supposed to bear the consequences of your action, yet God promises to bear them for us. So now look at the scale. What am I going to get? Just mercy. When forgiveness is in play and he bears the consequences and the burden of my sin, what am I getting? Just mercy, just love. Okay, so we've agreed that we know people by, what are the three things we know people by? Name, character, and story. So the name of God is given. He says, my name is Yehovah. This is how you will know me for generations. Then at this point, God does a self-disclosure and says, and this is my character. I am loving, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, uh, maintaining love to thousands of generations, and punishing to the third and the fourth. And what we've been doing is entering into the story to see how that comes out. Because the Bible is primarily a story about God. It's not a story about Israel. It's not a story about Jacob and, and Abraham and, and Isaac. It's just primarily a story about God. So we'll come to a story that shows how God does this forgiving thing. This is the story that actually leads us to Exodus 34. I want us to... Uh, hear a story that leads us to Exodus 34 when God actually says this. So, a little background. We've had the conversation about 
Moses and the burning bush where God introduces himself and says, hey, my name is Yahweh and you will know me by this. I have heard the Israelites cry and I'm going to defend them. I'm going to rescue them. God actually rescues them and frees them and there's, you know, miracles and the whole splitting of a, of a, of a sea. And on the other side, there's a beautiful song that is written by, beautiful two songs, by Moses, one by Moses and another by Miriam. The one written by Moses ends with a very important phrase. Exodus 15, 18. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. This is a big declaration. They've been ruled by other kings. They've been under other gods. And, and, and now, because of what God has done for them, they're saying, now you, Yahweh, are our king. You see the change? They were ruled by Egypt. They were under the gods of Egypt. Now, because of what God has done, they have just declared, now you, Yahweh, are our king. You are our God. Now, before, God was introduced as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's now about to start being introduced as the God of the Israelites because of this moment. Because they're agreeing that you, Yahweh, are our God. No longer are you just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are our God too. And that's why I kept telling us uh, when we started that God wants to write a story with you. So that he wouldn't just be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Israel, and Jesus, and John, and James. He will be your God too. So, then because of this agreement... God gives them a, a list of instructions to live by. We call them the Ten Commandments. In, in Hebrew scripture, they're just called the Ten Sayings. Uh, with, uh, Exodus 20 verse 1 to 5. And God spoke these words saying, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no gods before me. You shall make for, for yourselves, no carved images, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is uh, in the earth or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, Yahweh, your God, I am a jealous God. So he's saying, this is my name, partly because there are other gods with other names. This is my name and I am your God. All those other people can worship other things. But for you, there's only one God, Yahweh. So don't, don't make any images. Don't, make, uh, don't worship any uh, other gods. I am your God only. And I have done something for you. He's telling them, I know that those other gods are malicious. They're vindictive. They did nothing for you. I am the only God who's done something for you. I have delivered you. So don't worship. Don't, don't bring any other God in, uh, to my face. They've done nothing for you. And, and, and also, in reference to Psalm 82, he knows that those other gods are rebels. They've caused trouble. They have no good intention for creation. So he's saying, don't worship them. And then he says, I am a jealous God. This is not boyfriend, girlfriend, jealousy. Oh, he was talking to so-and-so. It's about fierce covenant-keeping love. It's about how any man, any man would passionately protect him, his marital bed from men trying to, 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 to steal uh, his woman. 
It's about how any woman would fiercely keep trying women from her man. It's passionate covenant-keeping love. We've made a covenant. They don't deserve you. They don't deserve you. They don't know the commitments we've made. They don't know what we've been through together. How dare they? Passionate, fierce, covenant-keeping love. That's what God is saying. But it's not because God is petty. He knows very well that those other gods are not worthy of worship. He knows that those other gods are not kind. So he's jealous. Or what is also translated is jealous for his name. Don't go there. You will get hurt. Don't go there. I am your only true God. Then we continue. Exodus 20, uh, uh, 24. So, Moses, uh, so they, they, uh, uh, this is how they reply. So Moses came and told all the words of the Lord uh, to the, to, uh, and all the judgments. And the people answered with one voice. All the words of the Lord that the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses wrote, uh, uh, wrote all the words of the Lord. So here's a conversation between Yahweh and his people. And they go, yes, we will do it. What are they doing? They're making a covenant. Now, how covenants were made, uh, you know, the two parties agree to a covenant. And then they're written on a tablet and they're sealed by blood. So Moses goes up the mountain to receive the tablets. A copy for Israel, a copy for Yahweh. He goes up the mountain to receive the tablet. This is partly why marriage certificates are important. A covenant has been made, we sign it, and there's a copy. One with the government, one with my office, and one with the couple. So see what happens in Exodus 32. Now when the people saw that Moses has delayed, Moses has gone up to receive the certificate of this covenant. Uh, it's, they saw Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as this Moses guy, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Already? Wait, 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 wait. You just agreed to not do this. It's like, it's like a spouse cheating on the wedding day. They've not even left the compound. You've just agreed to keep this covenant. They continue. So, and he, Aaron, received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast for the Lord, meaning the idol. Then they rose up early the next day, offered burnt sacrifices and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down, ate, drank, and rose up to play. So this is not a very strange thing. They, knew, they already knew how to worship. They were living in lands with so many gods they already knew how to worship. So all these things they're describing is just, oh, but this is how we worship. And some of it is very, very weird. So that last phrase that says, and they rose up to play, this is actually in reference to uh, ancient, ancient, ancient cultures had, 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 had sex rituals around their worship. That's what the Bible is talking about. They were, they were letting the world define their worship, and they were giving their worship to an idol. So this is really bad news. 
And here's the thing. The reason I bring that up is, you know, as, as people of God, we must be aware that, that human beings are created for worship. And if you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something else. And we already know how to do it. Let us not let our basal desires or our culture define what we worship or how we worship. Because God says, I am Yahweh, I am your God. That's the thing here. So God gets furious, expectedly, right? They have just broken the covenant even before the ceremony ends. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down, go. Get down. For your people, God is furious, no longer his people. For your people whom you brought out of the land, I'd be sitting there going, whoa. At the very least, we work together. <laughs> you know, your people whom you brought out of uh, Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people. This is something that is true for a lot of us. I've seen these people and it is a stiff-necked people. So, therefore, how you deal with people is my wrath may burn hot against them. Leave me alone because now they will get what they deserve. And I may consume them. And I will make you a great nation. Okay, Moses, you're one of them, but you know, you're different. You're here with me. Let's just destroy all the others. God is mad. Okay? So, he's saying, I'll let them get what they deserve. The other thing I want to remind us is we've got to get over this idea that God does not get angry. Wickedness, sin, and rebellion, according to Psalm 711, make God angry how long? Every day. So, God is like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to let them get what is coming for them. Then Moses pleaded with God. <laughs> Moses pleaded, pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians, like, remember, we just got them out of Egypt the other day. What will they say? He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them uh, from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, these are your people, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and say to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and, and all the land I, that I have spoken of I, uh, of I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from his harm that he had promised. Just something a little out of our conversation today. I keep reminding us that intercession makes a difference. When we pray, it makes a difference. So here is Moses interceding for his, for his people. And he's telling God, one, they're your people. It's, and it's not that God had forgotten. Okay. 
And you see what he keeps reminding him? He keeps bringing to God his own promise. He keeps bringing to God his own character. Wait a minute. God forgives them. That's actually what the story is about. Now, a couple of people, I think 3,000 people, die in this, in this part of the story. Some people get hung up at the 3,000 who died. What happens is Moses goes, goes to them and says, anyone who's on the Lord's side, come to me. And then 3,000 decide not to. What is God saying? Every one of them has sinned. But he's saying, I am offering to forgive. Sometimes we are the ones who tell God, I don't want your forgiveness. Sometimes we are the ones who say, who cares about God? This is what these 3,000 said. And love requires that you let people bear the consequences of their choices. So God said, okay, for those who've come to me, I will forgive you fully. For those who've not, I will let you receive what is coming for them. Actually, the point of the story isn't the 3,000, because this is a time of so much bloodshed and wars. The point of the story is everybody's going, wait a minute. You would dare forgive people like this? That's why in Jonah, when we read the story, what does Jonah say? I knew you would forgive them. I knew you would show mercy. Because they remember this story. This is actually the drama that leads us to the portion of scripture we've been, leading, we've been reading. <laughs> Someone's very happy about that. <laughs> this is the background of God making the declaration he made. This is why, this is what has happened for Moses to go, Lord, show me your glory. Because he's going, it's unbelievable that you would forgive us. Show me your glory. Then when God shows his glory, uh, declares his name, what does he say? I am gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. I maintain my love to thousands of generations. But I wouldn't leave the guilty unpunished. The good news of the scripture is that Yahweh wants you to know him as a God who is ready and willing and has offered to carry your sin, to forgive you. The good news of scripture is that God forgives us not because it's a good idea, but because that's who he is. We're starting the season of Advent and we're joining the entire body of Christ and reminding ourselves the promise God made and, and the expectation of the coming Messiah. The whole idea was that God was promising, I am coming, I am, I am, I am, I am coming to carry the whole burden of sin. That's why when John sees Jesus, what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away who carries the sin of the world. I want to finish with Isaiah 53. But he is wounded for my transgressions, for our transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities, for your iniquities. The, chast the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned 
everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He, has, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shearer is dumb. So he did not open his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And, and who shall declare in his, uh, his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of the people he was stricken. Why don't we stand? So the thing here is, if the band can come back on stage, please. This is the good news, that God is willing, ready to forgive you. Some of us are still carrying the weight of our sin, and we think, this far, I don't think, I don't think God would forgive me this far. And God is saying, no, I am a forgiving God. I forgive you. And as our prayer teams come up front, if you've never trusted God with the burden weighing on you, with the burden of sin, he's saying, you know, I really want to take that off of you. I want to lift your sin. The challenge is, sometimes, some of us intellectually know that. But we really don't believe it. We don't take God at his word. We think, yeah, he forgives people, but, but me, maybe not. He forgives people, but I keep doing this over and over again. He forgives people, but maybe next year when I turn 30, I'll stop behaving myself. And God is going, no, 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 listen, I forgive fully. So some of us keep bringing to God our mistakes from you know, when, when, you think, when you think you want, want, want uh, God to listen to your prayer, you go, and God, I know I'm a terrible person, but please forgive me. Like, you're the one carrying it around. We don't have to beg God to be kind to us. And so if part of your struggle is the shame and regret of choices made, we'd love to pray with you. Because here's the thing, church, it dishonors God's name. When he says, I am a forgiving God, and you're going, oh, no, I am a sinful person. Oh, Lord, forgive me for last year. Like, no, no, that's not even there. Come to my throne of grace with confidence to receive help in your time of need. This is what it means for us. Accept God's forgiveness. If you've never done it, we'd love to just stand beside you as you say, Lord, I believe. Go out there and forgive others as you have been forgiven. Go out there and forgive those who've taken the things that are most precious to you. And three... Share this news with people. We all know people who are stuck in their lives, in, 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 in depression, in, in drugs. And we all know people who are just stuck because they don't think they are forgivable. 
or pray over us and release us. The band will just sing a song that we've been doing uh, over us. So you're invited to stay and just receive God's forgiveness. Rose, do, do you have something to say? Father, we receive your forgiveness. Father, we are sorry for when we haven't trusted you. So lift, O oh Lord, the burden on our souls for things done by us, things done to us, and things done around us. Lord, I pray because you are the lifter of our faces, the lifter of our heads. I just pray over you that whoever is down with the weight of their sin would receive God's forgiveness and your face would begin to lift. I bless you now to go into the city to friends and family. And with your friends and family, those who've broken covenant with you, those who've sinned against you, and those, uh, and those who've acted crookedly with you, that you would extend the forgiveness of the Father. And I bless you that, that your families will begin to be reunited and healed in the very places that the enemy came and stole. That where you are called not his, you will receive blessing and hear that you are called by the name of God. I bless you to go into the city, friends, uh, 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 strangers even, and make this bold invitation. God forgives you. I bless you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.